Good morning. It's it's great to it's great to be here at, in Cornwall, but I I'm I'm wondering, am I really in Cornwall? It's uh, th this is a a totally new experience here. So it's literally like being back home in Southern California. But it's it's great to be here once again. Uh, you know, when I was in my, my 20s, I had a reputation for being the pastor who would show up to preach in his board shorts, and I was tempted to do that this morning, but my wife said, you're too old, you can't do that now, so, uh, so here I am in my trousers. But uh, no, it's just so, so good to be here. Before we, before we jump into the teaching this morning, I just wanted to take a quick second and just remind you about what's happening this afternoon right here in the big shed. Uh, my friend David Robertson has come down from Scotland, and he's going to be doing a couple of sessions this afternoon that I, I want to announce it now because I think it's so vitally important. The topic um, is really courage, and that's in the context of presenting Christ in a post-Christian culture because, uh, in case you haven't noticed, that's pretty much what we're living in these days. So that'll be happening this afternoon. Uh, I think 1.30 we kick off in here, and then there's, there's two sessions. So just to, uh, just to give you a reminder of that. So uh, for the week here on the main stage, in, in the morning sessions, we're going to be going through the letter to the Hebrews. And as I was, you know, thinking about the, the festival this year, and I was thinking particularly about these uh, teaching sessions um, I, I just felt really strongly that we just need to be reminded over and over again that we can have absolute confidence and faith in God's Word. And, and not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. So I, I was just kind of thinking, you know, how do we, we kind of just get the big picture look at all of Scripture? And uh, Hebrews came to mind. I think between Hebrews and the book of Revelation, those are the two... Uh, New Testament uh, books that are, are most uh, connected to the Old Testament. So as we go through Hebrews this week, we will be uh, tying the whole uh, of, of the biblical revelation together, really from Genesis all the way through. So that's what we have to look forward to this week. This morning, I wanted to just uh, start us off with a verse or two from Hebrews and um, chapter two, uh, just part of verse three is kind of where I want to start, and it's sort of the theme for the message today. And it's there that the author says this. Well, well he, he just makes reference to our salvation in this way. He refers to it as so great a salvation. So great a salvation. Now, just think with me for a moment. Uh, if we were to go around the world and ask people, what to them would be the greatest thing ever, uh, you would get a, a variety of answers, uh, no doubt, uh, but it probably depending on where people uh, lived and under what circumstances they found themselves. But, but think for a moment what people might say. So the question is, what's the greatest thing? What's, what's the greatest possible thing uh, that, that anyone could experience here in this world. Now, for some people, uh, they would say uh, peace and safety would be the greatest thing. Maybe people in Syria would say something like that because, of course, they've lived in a war zone for so many years. So they might say something like that. For others, some would say 
Uh, it would be m- maybe food and shelter because they're deprived of those things. Uh, for some, it would be good health because they, they're in poor health. Um, for some, it would be the restoration of a broken relationship, maybe a marriage that has fallen apart, or maybe a family that's, that's fractured. Um, and then, of course, for some, there would be just, you know, an unlimited supply of money. Uh, for some, there would be just the idea that, that success and fame and that sort of thing would be the greatest thing ever. Uh, it would probably vary depending, again, as I said, upon your circumstances. But the reality is this. None of these things, although they might be, some of them, of course, might be great under the circumstances, none of them compare to what the text tells us. The text tells us that salvation is the greatest possible thing. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at uh, how great our salvation is. Now, the, the author uses these words. He says, so great a salvation. Now, think with me for a moment just about that little adverb there, so. Uh, There's another place that we find that, that it stands out in Scripture, and it's in the um, well-known passage in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, right? And, And it says this, for God so loved the world. So when that little word is being used there, what is it telling us? It's, it's basically telling us that love is insufficient to describe how God feels toward the world. He loved the world more than love could describe. And so likewise, when we look at salvation, the author is telling us essentially the same kind of thing, that salvation is not only great, it's greater than the word great can even describe. And so, what we want to do today is we want to look at five reasons why our salvation is declared to be so great, a salvation. I'll just give you the five up front, and then we'll walk through them. Number one, our Savior is great. Number two, our deliverance is great. Number three, our calling is great. Number four, our inheritance is great. And number five, the cost Uh, of our salvation was great. So, beginning with the first point, our salvation is great because our Savior is great. Now, I don't know, I I would imagine most of you have uh, probably a a fairly good understanding of who Jesus is, but you know, a lot of people are perplexed about Jesus. And and one of the things that's perplexing to them is is the way we Christians uh, refer to Jesus and think of Jesus. They say, well, you know, isn't Jesus just a, you know, maybe he's a prophet, some would say. Uh, Others would say, well, you know, he's a good man. He was a sage. He was a wise man. And, of course, he was those things, but he was so much more than that. And the first four verses of Hebrews tells us how great uh, our Savior is. Let me me read them to you. It says this in uh, Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says, in In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining 
all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So our salvation is great because our Savior is great because he is, number one, he is the heir of all things. Everything that there is ultimately belongs to Jesus. And although presently we do not see everything brought under his authority, that will come in the future. That's what Bible prophecy is about. Bible prophecy is about the time ultimately when the Son of God will come and take uh, charge of his inheritance, which is everything, all things. So he is the heir of all things. You know, I was, um, I was thinking about, you know, being an heir, uh, possessing things. I was thinking particularly about um, land. Uh, you know, possessing land is, a, is an important thing uh, for many people. Of course, many wars have been fought over uh, strips of land. Um, but as I was thinking about that, I was looking on Google, and this might be interesting to you to know, um, the queen, she is by far, uh, of anybody in the world, she possesses the crown, the British crown possess, possesses more land than anyone else in the world, 6.6 billion acres. Uh, that's a lot of land, but guess what? It pales in comparison to Jesus. Jesus possesses all things, not just uh, the earth, but all of the worlds, the, the universe. Because the next thing it tells us about Jesus is that he is the creator of the universe. Through him, God created the universe. You know, there's, there's been, of course, for a long, long time, there's a huge battle in the culture about the issue of origins and how we got here and, you know, creation and evolution and all of that sort of thing. You know, if you put Jesus into the equation, the the, the conflict makes more sense because it, it's a battle over uh, who has the right to these things. And according to Scripture, Jesus is the creator. It, it, when we read in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If we flip over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and nothing uh, that was made was made apart from Him. So John tells us that the God who created in the beginning is none other than God the Son, Jesus Christ. So as we start to see, Christ is the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. It tells us here also that he is the sustainer of all things. You know, we take everything for granted, don't we? We, we take it for granted when we go to bed at night that uh, we'll wake up in the morning because everything's going to work just like it's always worked. And uh, as we would say, the sun's going to rise. And, and we have complete confidence in all of that just continuing to, to function. But the question is, how does that happen? I mean, you know, why does it happen? If, if everything's just a massive accident, then it would be hard to understand how it all works so perfectly together. But again, this is where Scripture is, is amazing concerning the person of Christ because it says he sustains everything. Everything is held together. Uh, another passage in Colossians puts it that way. Everything is held together by Christ. 
And so the sun is where it is because uh, Christ put it there and he keeps it there. If it was any further away, uh, we wouldn't be here. If it was any closer, we wouldn't be here. Uh, The same is true with the moon. Did you know that the moon is the exact uh, right, not only distance from the earth, but it's the exact right size. If it was any further away, any closer, any larger, any smaller, we would not be here. Now, how is that? How does that happen? Is that accidental? Is that just everything just kind of, you know, as they say, there was an explosion and it all just landed in this perfect spot and it stayed there and it continues to stay there. The scripture says that it stays there because Jesus put it there and he keeps it there. So he's the heir. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And then one more thing here, it says that he is the, the, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Or as another translation puts it, he is the brightness of his glory and he is the express image of his person. So we make a big deal about Jesus as Christians because we recognize Jesus is none other than God. Now, he's not God the Father, he's God the Son. The, the Bible teaches and has always taught, and the Christian church has always understood that there is one God, and there is one, uh, th- there's one God who I- exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to all of this, God, the Father, you might say, is the architect. Jesus, you might say, is the builder, and the Holy Spirit is the agency through which it all happens. So our salvation is great, first of all, because our Savior is great. There's no one greater. The man of Nazareth, the prophet from Galilee, the one who walked upon the sea, the one who spoke and calmed the winds and the waves, he could do that because he was none other than the creator of all things, and he's also the one who died upon the cross. As the the verses go on to say here, that he offered himself to purify us from our sins. So number one, Our our salvation is great because our Savior is great. Secondly, our salvation is great because our deliverance is great. See, salvation has two aspects to it, if you think about it. We have been saved from things, but we've also been saved to things. So let's talk first about what we've been saved from. Now, uh, if if you think about just the word salvation, you think about, you, you can substitute that with the word deliverance. So a deliverance has taken place. What, what's the implication? The implication is you're in trouble. You're in trouble and you can't deliver yourself from the trouble you're in. Salvation is God delivering us out of that. And what are the things that he has delivered us from? Well, he's delivered us from sin. Sin is this, this malignant power that permeates all of creation and our lives, and it's a destructive power. It's a, it's a power that, that brings uh, devastation, and it, it gets hold of our lives, and we can't free ourselves from it. And so, as we see over and over in history, you ever notice how, uh, you know, we can come up with some great ideas as people, And we come up with ideas and we think, you know, this is a great idea. And if we just do this, it will work. But what's the problem? We can't do it. We think that, well, this is a fantastic way to govern 
you know, ourselves, let's do this. And uh, the idea sounds good in theory, but we, but we can't practice it. Why? And, and that's true even in our own lives personally, isn't it? I can look at a certain, uh, you know, life and say, you know, that's the good life. That's a life I want to live. That's a healthy life. That's a wholesome life. That's a life that's going to be, uh, you know, beneficial for me and everybody around me. But then what happens? I end up not doing it. And instead, I end up wrecking myself and I end up wrecking people around me. What is that? Well, the Bible calls that sin. And the wonderful salvation that Jesus has brought to us has delivered us from that power of sin. So sin no longer has power over our lives. We're no longer under its dominion. We're no longer under its authority. We're no longer in bondage to those destructive habits that we were once bound to. So we've been delivered from sin. Uh, We've been delivered from Satan. Yes, there is a Satan. There is a devil. And there are demonic forces. You know, I was reading in Mark's gospel this week, and there's a story there in the fifth chapter about this man who is demonized. And uh, he, he actually, as you, as you read the story, he's possessed by a legion of demons, which is a multitude of demons. But it describes him in this way. It describes that he lives among the tombs. He cuts himself He cries out day and night. He's bound by the townspeople with chains, and he can break the chains, and no one can tame him, and no one can help him. That's a man who was under the the authority of the devil. And like the devil does, he was destroying his life. Can you imagine living among tombs and howling, crying out day and night? This is your existence. But what happens? Jesus comes along and he says to the demon, leave this man. And he did. You see, that's what salvation brings. It brings deliverance. I know many people that uh, their lives were very much like that man. And yet today they are freed. And, And at the end of that story, Jesus delivers the man from the demons. He was, he was naked as well. And he was out of his mind. And at the end of the story, it says, everybody looked and there was the man. He was, he was clothed and he was sitting there calmly and he was in his right mind. And that was all because of what Jesus did for him. So our deliverance is great. We're delivered from Satan and then we're delivered from hell. We're delivered from hell. Hell is like the most uh, unpopular concept on the planet today, especially in Western culture. Like, if you talk about hell, people think you are just uh, a Neanderthal. You know, you are so out of touch. What do you mean, hell? Even Christians. Oh, there's no hell. God is a God of love. Look, I'll just put it this simply. Jesus believed there was hell. He taught there was hell. He said that it's a place that you do not want to go. And he came to deliver us so we wouldn't go to hell. So you can argue all you want about whether there's a hell, but remember, you're arguing with Jesus in the end. You're not arguing with me. You're not arguing with a preacher. (laughs) You're arguing with Jesus. Jesus said there's a hell. And he came to deliver us from that. The the thing about hell is God doesn't want anybody to go there. You know, people kind of think that God, you know, he wants people to go to hell. Jesus even told us that hell was not made for people. 
Jesus said that hell was made for the devil and his angels, but the reality is if people want to follow the devil and his angels, if they want to live in rebellion to God, their destiny will be the same. But the salvation that Christ has brought to us has delivered us from that. And so we're no longer bound by sin. We're no longer under the authority of Satan. And our destiny is not hell. Our destiny is, is with God in his glorious kingdom forever. And that's, that's God's gift. It's not because, you know, we, we try to be good people. And if we, if we try hard enough, we're going we're gonna to make it. No, it's the gift of God. Heaven, eternal life is the gift of God. And that's what delivers us from hell. Our deliverance is great. Thirdly, and I'm going to go through these next couple uh, rather quickly here. This one, uh, our calling is great. Remember I said that we're saved from things, but we're also saved to things. So it's not like God just saved us from something. It's not like, you know, say we were in prison. And, you know, say you're there with a life sentence and you're just, you know, you're sitting in your cell and you've got 40 years left. And, um, and all of a sudden, somebody walks in and says, you know what, you're, you're free to go. Your debt has been paid. And so the doors open, you walk out into the world, you're freed now from the prison, but what do you do? Where do you go? How do you live? How do you get a life? People are going to say, oh no, you were in prison, you committed a crime, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Well, God didn't do that. He didn't merely deliver us from things. He delivered us to things as well. That's what salvation is. It brings us to the things that God has in store for us. And so the third point is that our salvation is great because our calling is great. See, God has called us to something. Number one, he's called us to be his sons and daughters. God has called you to be his child. That's the calling. Uh, not, again, not just here, you're freed from prison. Now be good, but you're set free. And now come, I'm making you a part of my family. And all that I am and all that I have and all that I desire, it's going to be uh, directed toward your benefit and your blessing. Think about it. Sons and daughters of God. We are the children of God. And you know, at a certain point, the Apostle John, he writes, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God that we're the children of God. Now, I am a father of four and a grandfather of five. And I will readily confess that uh, those children and grandchildren are my favorite people in the whole world. They are the apple of my eye. I, I absolutely love them. I, I would do anything in my power to bless them, to make sure their lives are as good as it could possibly be. That, that's my heart toward my children and my grandchildren. And guess what? Jesus said, if you who are evil by nature know how to give good things to your children, how much more your father in heaven? So you see, how many of you are parents today or grandparents? All right. You love your kids, right? Most of the time. <laughs> you always love your grandkids, right? And isn't it true that there's nothing you wouldn't do to assure that they're blessed? Isn't it true that you just, when, when you see them, you're, you know, you light up and you're just like, oh, this, this is the greatest moment. When Cheryl and I have our, our grandkids recently just came and stayed with us 
And oh, it was like heaven on earth. It was so wonderful. That's how God sees us. We're his children. He cares for us. So we're sons and daughters. We're saints. Did you know you're a saint? Now, I know there's a lot of towns around here that are named after uh, various saints, but, you know, you could just tack up uh, on your, your house uh, a sign that, you know, St. John or who, whatever your name is, St. Mary, because we're called to be saints. And the word saint simply means those who have been separated to God. The church took saints and kind of turned it into something that the Bible never intended it to be because all of God's people are saints. We're all brought into a relationship with him. We're all set apart for his purposes. That's what it means to be a saint. We're also the servants of God. We're the servants of the Most High God. You know, everybody serves somebody. And we, by God's grace, we are the servants of God. What an honor to be able to say, you know, I, I am a servant of God. Of course, in the culture today, and has been for, obviously, um, much of the time, to, to be considered a servant of somebody, well, that's, you know, that's below me. I don't want to be seen as a servant. But biblically speaking, it's always been an honor to see, to see oneself as a servant of the Most High God. Well, God's called us to be His servants, but there's one more thing that He's called us into that is absolutely amazing to me, and that's friendship. You know, God has called you to be His friend. There's a person in the Bible who is referred to as the friend of God. His name is Abraham. And Abraham was known as the friend of God. When God was going to do something, He said, well, I'm going to tell Abraham about it because he's my friend. And, you know, number of different situations in Scripture, you find God uh, communicating things with Abraham because of that friendship. When you think of someone who is a friend, and I'm talking here about a dear friend, a close friend, a friend that you have an intimate relationship with, that's the kind of friendship that we have with God. How do I know? Because Jesus said it. He said, I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that the Father has made known to me, I have communicated that to you. Jesus said, I'm, I let you in on secrets. I tell you what God is doing. That's what friends do. You're my friends. So our calling is great. Our salvation is great because our calling is great. And fourthly, our inheritance is great. Our inheritance is great. Listen, right now, today, we are the children of God Our sins have been forgiven. We've been set free from the power of sin. We've been brought out from under the dominion of the devil. We don't have to fear the future because we know our future is with the Lord. We have an inheritance that awaits us because the Bible tells us that we are the heirs of God. Now, remember, Jesus is the heir of all things. We saw that. Well, guess what? Because we're joined to Jesus, we share in that. And this is what the Scripture says, that we are heirs of God. That means we're set to inherit from God, and we're joint heirs with Christ. What is Christ inherited from the Father? Everything. Everything belongs to Him. And guess what? He's going to share it with all of us. That's amazing. So if we really thought about it, we would not be as concerned with laying up treasure here on the earth 
as we would be concerned with storing up for the future in heaven because that's where, that's where everything's headed. That's where it's all going, that, that Christ will inherit all things and we will inherit those things with him. And Peter put it this way. I love the way he said it. He said that we have been begotten again or we've been born again to a living hope, and that's by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is what he said. He said, to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, it never fades away, and it is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Think about that. That's the future for you. For you that trust in Christ, that's your future. You have an inheritance that's stored up for you. It's waiting for you. It is, as it says, it's incorruptible. It can never corrupt. It can never lose its value. It can never fade in glory like things do here in the world. Of course, things here, that's part of the nature of things, right? Everything fades. The glory of it fades. It, it corrupts. It tarnishes. But that's not true for what awaits us in the future. We have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. Our inheritance is great. And remember, Jesus always would say to his disciples, you know, keep your focus in the right place. The New Testament tells us uh, that we're to fix our eyes on heaven. And of course, that doesn't mean that we just forget our jobs here on earth and just become, you know, lazy people and don't do anything. No, we do all of that to the glory of God, but we keep in mind that that's our, that's our goal. That's where we're headed, to this inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, and it's never going to fade away. And then the fifth point is this, that our salvation is great because the cost was great. The cost was great. Now, here's the, the, the truth is salvation is free, right? We, we are excited to tell people that. It is the free gift of God. Just like Creation Fest is a free festival, but everybody knows that you have to pay. Somebody has to pay. This doesn't just, you know, come into existence through wishing it did. It's free, but there's a cost for somebody. Salvation is a free gift to you. It's a free gift to me, but somebody paid for it. Who paid for it? Well, Jesus paid for it, didn't he? Jesus paid for it, and the Scripture tells us that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Now, for human beings, silver and gold is like that's the greatest stuff there is, right? Um, but from the biblical standpoint, those are corruptible things. They, they'll, they'll tarnish. They'll, uh, their value will diminish, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. See, our inheritance has been purchased for us through the blood of Jesus. Think about that with me for a moment. Jesus purchased us with his blood. He had to shed his blood in order to purchase us. And of course, we know that that means not simply that, you know, he had a cut in his wrist and poured out some blood somewhere, but it means that his life itself was given up as the sacrifice. His blood was shed to the point that his life extinguished. That's the cost. And we know again, as we said in the beginning, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
This is, this is the love of God. You know, there are people today that are struggling. Well, I don't know if God's really a God of love, and I don't understand why this happens in the world, and how come there's so much misery and suffering and hatred and war and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, I was uh, reading on Instagram the other night a friend of mine, a personal friend of mine, um, somebody who's been here at the festival with us who was pretty much just telling everybody that, you know, I no longer believe because there's just too much trouble in the world and it's too bad. I can't understand how God would allow this and all of that. And I was, I was so heartbroken when I read that. And I thought, you know, are you forgetting this reality that, yes, all of those things are true, but God did not exempt himself from this. He entered into it to ultimately deal with it. So Jesus came into the world, and he did what? He died. He he didn't just die. He was murdered. He was unjustly condemned, and he was murdered. He entered into the fullness of our suffering, but in doing so, he paid the price for our redemption. And so the cost was great. Our salvation is great. The cost is great. Now, I want to close with this. I want you to look back with me over at uh, the second chapter, because that's where we started. We started in part of verse 3. I want to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2, because the final point is this, that in light of everything that we've said, our responsibility is great. You see, humanity has a great responsibility to God because of what God has done, that he's, he's our maker, he's our sustainer, he's our redeemer. And so here's our responsibility. Look at what it says. It says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The whole letter to the Hebrews is really, it's kind of like one big long plea with the people to recognize two things, that Jesus is better than everything that came before and nothing will come after. And it's a plea to not drift away from Jesus. That's, that's what happens. The world, the flesh, the devil puts pressure on us to try to pull us away from Jesus. So the letter is just a continual uh, reminder of the greatness of Jesus and a warning not to, not to drift away from him. And so that's what it says here, that we must pay more, the most careful attention lest we drift away. Now, you know something about drifting is that it's, it's very imperceptible. I grew up surfing in Southern California. In the summertime, we have these big south swells that come through, and it turns the Pacific Ocean into sort of like a river. And you can, you know, you can paddle out at a certain spot and if you're not paying attention, within a half an hour, you can be two miles uh, up the beach. And the only way that you can really navigate that is to have some sort of a marker on the land. So when you go down and you know it's a big south swell and you know there's a strong current, you kind of look around and say, okay, that's my fixed point right there. And I'm going to have to you know, keep myself from drifting away from this. But if you don't have that fixed point, sometimes, you know, we have these long beaches where there's not really necessarily a fixed point or everything kind of looks the same. And, you know, maybe you throw your towel down on the beach and you okay, that's my marker. But then you paddle out and you can't see your towel anymore because it's so far from you. And then, you know, you surf for a while and then you get out of the water and you're like, where's my towel? Where are my car keys? Where am I? And you've drifted a couple miles 
up the beach, but you didn't even know that you were drifting. That's, spiritually speaking, that can happen to us. And that's why he says we must pay more careful attention to the things that we had heard, have heard, lest we drift away from these things. And there's so, there, there's so many currents presently that are pulling people in different directions and, and sending people uh, the wrong way into the rocks, into the shore. And how do I avoid that? I avoid that by paying the most careful attention to the things that we have heard. And then it goes on, it says, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, and here it is, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You see, the passage is, uh, it's actually uh, here in, in con- the context is in a warning. How are we going to escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This is the greatest thing. And so what is the word? The word is do not neglect. This is the greatest thing you could ever possess. The salvation that is yours in Jesus is the greatest thing ever. If somebody came to you, let's just, we talked about the queen earlier. Let's just say the queen came and she had this heirloom, you know, that's been in the royal family forever. And she said, you know, I, I want to give this to you, but I want, I want you to keep it. And I want you to take great care of it. And, you know, uh, you know one, of the, one of these days we're going to ask for it back. Uh, but for the time being, you know, you, you take care of it. And you, you would probably say, oh, what, a, what an amazing honor. Well, of course we'll take care of it. And you would do that. And then if it went from generation, you'd make sure that your descendants. Now, the queen gave us this, and she's got us taking care of it. And one day they're going to come back and get it. You know, God's given us this unspeakable gift of salvation. And Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he says about this salvation, he says, work it out. Work out your own salvation, he said, with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that, that word, work it out, means to, to mine out all the, the... The context often for that word would be mining of precious metals or, or even jewels. And so it's saying to us the salvation, the greatest thing ever, get everything out of it that God intends. And this is the problem. When people drift away, they've forgotten how great the salvation is. They think there's something greater out there. There's not. There's nothing greater out there. And the stuff that we often think is greater, the people who have all that stuff, they say, oh, no, it's not great. Believe me, I got it, and I'm miserable. So you've got the greatest thing in the universe in your possession if you have embraced Jesus as your Savior. And I want to say to you this final word today, work out your salvation. Mine it out. Everything that God has, because God has a plan, He has a purpose, He has specific intention for your life. Remember, He's called you. He's called you to be His son or daughter. He's called you to be uh, a, a saint. He's called you to be His servant. He's called you His friend. And your whole life, there, there's something so glorious wrapped up in all of that. Don't neglect it. 
Pursue it with everything in you, and you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing salvation that you've given to us. And, Lord, forgive us for taking it lightly sometimes. Forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us, Lord, for neglecting it at times. And, Lord, help us. Help us to realize, like we've never realized before, how great our salvation is. Help us to cherish it. Help us, Lord, to dig as deeply into it as possible. Help us to know that there is nothing in the entire universe that compares to this. And Lord, if there was ever a thing that was worth investing our entire selves in, this is it. And so help us, Lord, to do that. And Lord, I would just pray this morning as well, if, there's, uh, if there are people here who have yet to experience this great salvation, I pray, Lord, that right here today, tonight, throughout this week, however you would work, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, I thank you for the many people that have come to faith in Jesus over the years here at this festival. I thank you, Lord, that in this crowd right now, there are people that that came onto these grounds maybe years ago, skeptical, maybe atheist, maybe just burned out, bitter, angry, Lord, and you've got a hold of their lives and you've changed them. You've given them eternal life. And Lord, for anyone else that's in the, those places, would you do that? Would you do that for them? Lord, draw them in to this great salvation for which we give you thanks and praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.